we believed every business deserved to be paid. So that if a business has provided a service, well, it deserves to be paid for that service. So that was our cause. And then, so all our decision-making was revolved around that cause. So I think it's really important that you identify, okay, what, why am I doing this? What's the problem I'm trying to solve? Or why am I doing this? Hello and welcome to Trillions. I'm your host, Elise Grace, and today I'm chatting with Michael Dempsey, the former founder of Easy Debit, which sold for $305 million in 2014. Since then, Mix established Pipeline Capital to diversify and invest in other ventures. On this episode, Mick talks about the sale of Easy Debit, knowing your business cause, and understanding it's important to focus on what you enjoy. This episode of Trillions is sponsored by Xenox Diamonds. Mention my name or the Trillions podcast and they will give you a free upgrade to platinum with any engagement or wedding ring purchase. Find them on Queen Street in Brisbane or order online. Michael Dempsey, Director of Venture Capitalist Firm Pipeline Capital. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for coming. Thank you, Elise. It's a pleasure to uh, be here. Yeah, thank you. So before... Uh, before PipeCap, you had a tech company, uh, Easy Debit. So can you tell us the story of that? It's a really cool story of how you um, f- kind of fell into creating Easy Debit. Okay, well, I'll go back a little. So, um, and I will go back to the engineering days. So, yeah. Uh, so I did engineering at university and um, spent about five years as an engineer and uh, ended up overseas and I was uh, working on an oil pipeline in a country called Yemen which is below Saudi yeah so very third world wild west um, uh, so I did that um, uh, saved us some money because it was all it was tax-free so you know the money was quite good uh, I came back to Australia um, and then I had a job offer to go and uh, work as an engineer in the uh, northern Kimberleys in Western Australia but you know again remote uh, and I just decided, you know what, um, this remote works, it's not for me. So, and I, then I thought, you know what, the engineering's really not for me. So you're, actually, you're a surfer, so you probably wanted to be closer to the ocean, right? Yeah, well, um, <laughs> look, it's, and it's just that working remote is, um, I think I'm quite a social person as well. So uh, you just don't get really, you don't really get any social contact. It's, it's, a, hard, it's a really hard life. So especially like I think I was about 28 at the time. So at that age in life, it was like, you know what, it's just not for me. And then I, and I really had a good think about engineering and, and whether it was good, whether that was really what, what, what I wanted to do. And, but, you know, I think that's part of, um, uh, so like a, a, you know, like a lesson in life is a lot of people say, go and do the things that you love, but then you go, well, what do I love? Yeah. Um, so for me, I, I think, the way to get to way what you love is to leave behind the things that you don't like. Yeah. So, and that's, that's been my philosophy quite a lot. Whereas if I, if I, I wasn't scared to go to say, well, you know what, I, even though I spent four years studying and, and, uh, and getting a degree, and then I spent another you know, five years working as an engineer, I said, you know what, it's not for me and I'm not going to do it for the rest of my life. So, um, so I made the decision to leave that behind. And I think that's, that's, that's part of the path to find what you love, mm. um, which is really the ultimate goal. So if, you, if you're doing something that you love, then you can't fail at it, no matter if you're making money or not. Uh, so, yeah, so, so then, um, so I basically came back to Australia, um, decided not to, to decide, decided to discontinue working as an engineer uh, and actually just started working. There's a, a friend of mine who's a civil engineer 
and uh, we decided to um, to join forces and we started just some very small time developments. We we're doing little house renovations and shift and splits and things like that. Yeah. Anyway, and that led us to um, uh, to building some childcare centres. So at the time, uh, the government was encouraging uh, the building of childcare centres. Yeah, this is so, in the, um, the, the 90s, right? The mid to late 90s. That's it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so, so unlike today, um, where there's a proliferation of childcare, um, they just started privatising them. So, um, so it was actually boom times for childcare. So, so, and what the government would do is um, it would pay you three months of your forecast revenue the day that you open your doors. Wow. So, it, yeah. So, even though we didn't have any money, what we did have was a uh, uh, we had a builder's license. And so we were able to bootstrap the whole thing where we, we had we got vendor finance on the land, which means that the, the vendor who sold us the land, let um, he, he, he left some money in there so that we didn't have to finance the whole thing. Mm. And then because we had a building license, we were able to um, go and get a construction loan. And again, but that loan was only for 80% of the, of the construction cost. Um, but we're able to run it through but what it meant was that on the day we opened our doors, we got the three months revenue. Yeah. But we were pretty. But we were very tight on cash because all of a sudden that three months revenue went out the door, paying the vendor, paying the, the subcontractors. So, um, so we needed to run the centre well, um, and we had good. So what happened was we had good occupancy, but um, we were finding that we actually weren't getting paid from. Ah probably 30% of the parents. Yeah. So we had a cash, we had a bit of a, a cash crisis. Um, and even though we we're getting the government grant, so that the rebate, the, the childcare rebate, it was the gap fee that we weren't getting, which was basically, um, it was basically profit. So so I used to have to call all the all the parents. Do like, collections. You know, like, <laughs> do collections, yeah. So I'm on the phone, oh, we've, we've looked after Johnny, but you haven't paid us. When are you going to pay us? Yeah, yeah, I'll pay you tomorrow. And, and bang, and then um, next thing you know, I go to I, I go to the centre, and little Johnny's been pulled. So little Johnny's been pulled out of the centre, and they're putting him in a centre down the road. So, so I've lost a customer, and and I've and I've never and I've got a bad debt. Um, and so what I found was I was ringing. It was it was always the same people. It's the same thirty percent I was ringing. So I thought there's got to be a better way than this, yeah. and um, and that's when I looked at the idea of um, direct debit and I thought, oh, this, this is probably a good idea Yeah. because what I can do is I can, I can pull the money out of their account as and when their invoice is due. So, so you know, not, nothing like that existed was, back then? Uh, so direct debit was around, but it was only uh, for, for your large institutions like your insurance right. companies. And, um, and they usually had their own in-house programs, big, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. And so the, so the banks had just opened up what they call a direct debit user ID, which enabled a business to go and do their own direct debits on a smaller scale. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I thought that that's, that sounds like a pretty good idea. Anyway, so um, implemented that. And, um, and the idea was that I only had to sign a customer once and then I would start, then I could, I could pull the money as and when it was due. Yeah. And um, we, were in a, we were in a lower socioeconomic, socioeconomic area, so I made sure I pulled the money out on Dole Day. 
So uh, <laughs> so you get the money first. <laughs> yeah, smart. <laughs> and that worked. Yeah. And uh, anyway, it, it actually worked. And, and, and not only was I getting paid, but um, but the parent, the customers at the centre, the parents were actually they were quite they were happy. It, um, they weren't getting harassed by collections. Happens, they're not getting harassed. And what normally happens is if they're behind on the on their payments and they'll try and find an excuse as to why they're behind. So they'll blame, they'll blame something in the centre and they'll try and find a fault. Um, so we actually found that the centre was happier. Um, I was getting paid and we had, we had, um, we had a much greater customer retention. So I thought, this is pretty good. So I thought, I thought this is probably a better idea than childcare. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's when I uh, started developing um, uh, the, the first direct debit application. And, so, and so, before, so I was a bit lucky. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I was going to say, so as an engineer, yeah. as an engineer, I, I, I'd actually done a little bit of coding. Okay. And so I, and so I knew just enough to, to write a specification yep, for right. someone to go and build, which is yeah, what I did. Yeah, because um, I've thought about having things coded before, even websites, and it's like you show them what you want, but how do they know how to code that? Um, so obviously there's a language in between. Um, yeah, yeah, there what, is. What you it, want. It's good to have that just that little bit of understanding of how, how it all works and how it all goes together. Yeah. You know, just enough to, to tell someone. So when you're telling someone what you want, it's really good to have something in the background to, to understand how it goes together so that you get it right. Yeah, uh, sure. As opposed to building something and then you've got to rebuild it. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, we, so, yeah, so we went and gave a best to a little, to a uni student at the time. And awesome. uh, I think that cost, Ten thousand for the original Easy Debit application. <laughs> awesome. And uh, yeah, and away we went. I think our, our, the first month's revenue was a was a total of about uh, was a grand three hundred dollars. Okay. So I remember we it's better we than zero. First month's revenue. Yeah, better than zero. Yeah, but not much better. <laughs> so, and did you um, did you go up from yeah. that pretty um pretty consistently? Yeah. Increase the revenue. Uh, yes, but it's you always. You know, at the start, you're always you're always coming off a low base, so it's um it's certainly it's hard work for the first few years. Yeah. So to climb so guys, that revenue, even though we, yeah. So you guys went out and and hustled for sales basically. So you, after you you worked out this is yeah. a great business model, and we've we've now got it built. Um, how long did it take you to have that that built? You said ten thousand. The uni student did it, did it take a year or months? How long was it? Oh, that no, was only about six months. Okay. It wasn't that long. That's pretty quick. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. So then you went out it's and did sales, raw. but it wasn't, um, yeah. I, I know that it wasn't perfect and you guys really focused on sales and there's a saying that sales cures all. Um, and obviously with yeah. going out into the marketplace and getting lots of sales early on, you're able to get that feedback and then make adjustments and tweak. So um, uh, at what point do you, um, do you know that it's ready enough to go to market? A lot of people um, spend too, probably too long on the MVP and, and it, they don't get their product out there for the marketplace to give them feedback. So at what point do you know that it's ready to go out? Oh, look, I think it's, it's at a point where you can, you can sell something. So, okay. you know, we actually, we actually did a lot of, a lot of the processes manually. So uh, even though we had a, um, an automatic automated process for direct debit on bank account, um, the process on credit card was still manual. So we actually had a merchant terminal um, and so we actually had a credit card list, that's a, just a typed list that we would have to type all the numbers in and the amounts into a terminal. So, you know, we did that for probably two years wow. until we got to a point where we thought, you know what, 
um, let's not do this manually anymore. Let's, let's, let's write an application so that we can uh, automate that, which is what okay. we did. So, yeah, so behind the scenes, you know, we're, we're there doing a, a lot of manual things, but it was really vindicating the idea and the, the MVP. As, as yeah, cool. Yeah, I used to use Easy yeah. Debit when I was um, when I was a Jets gym member, and I thought. Um, oh, there you go. I, I remember Beautiful. I remember signing yeah. up to it and, and thinking, oh, this is cool. It just takes it out of my account, and I don't have to think about it. Um, yeah, it's a really cool, really cool business, and great to meet one of the founders. Um, yeah, all right. it's, you know, very very simple concept. You know, everyone goes what? And, yeah, you know, it's an extremely simple concept, but um, uh, but. But you know, but we went narrow. We went, we went quite narrow. We went deep and narrow. And what we did was probably one of the things that set us aside from, from probably a bank or, or a lot of other people is that um, we had an open API and, and we um, we tried to get as many software providers as we could that we could integrate into. So so we had a whole library of of other third party software providers that we integrated into, and then we had automatic reconciliation coming through it. So what's the benefit of having other um, software companies able to access Easy Debit? So what happens then is that, so if you're at the gym, mm-hmm. they, would, they would just use their software, which might be mind body, and they would input your details, put it into just their software, as opposed to going to a web portal and using the Easy Debit software. Oh, yeah. and, then, and then our software would check with the mind body software, for example, and see how much was due and when it was due. And so when it was due, we'd take the amount and then yep. we'd, um, we'd take it, give it to the business, and, but then we'd, we'd upload that amount into their software so it would stop it. Would, um, uh, so then they wouldn't have to do all that reconciliation. So it would save a yep. lot of administrative work. So who, yeah. who, who paid for that integration? Was it you or, the, or MindBody or the, aka the gym? We paid for that. Okay. And then did they pay you yeah. like a recurring fee to access Easy Debit, or was it a percentage of every transaction? So the transactions were paid by either the customer, mm-hmm. who was say the parent, in the childcare example, would be the parent, yeah, or the childcare. Um, so, so it would be the parent or the childcare who would pay the transaction fee, yeah. and the, the 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 software provider, for example, the childcare software provider, we would actually give them some money in the form of a rebate. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Good incentive yeah, for them to be on exactly. your platform. Yeah, a very good incentive for them to push it out to all their customers. Yeah. So that just made made our cost of customer acquisition very cheap. Yeah, cool. Okay, so and then... And we grew with them. So as, as they grew, we grew. So, yeah. Yeah. Of course. And then uh, and then you can keep approaching other businesses, getting them onto the platform. So at, at its peak, um, before you sold, Mick, what... Um, well, what was your ownership first of all, and and then um, you know what kind of revenue were you bringing in, and how many businesses did you have on the platform? Okay, uh, so I, I just a little over fifty percent ownership, um, and we so revenue. Say so revenue, we're doing about forty-five million revenue a year. Yeah, I think we had about about four billion going through that trust account actually. So wow. from so that was flowing, that was flowing through our trust account, and then our when I say revenue, that's the commission that we took on a transactional basis. Yeah, amazing. And, uh, yeah, and then about how many? Sixteen thousand merchants, I think, and we I think we had about one and a half million actual customers. When we say customers, that's like the parents, individuals. Yeah, and so that was yeah. through Australia, New Zealand. Yeah, only? Australia, New Zealand. Yeah. Okay. We just started in uh, Hong Kong. 
yeah. before, I, before I sold. And so why did you decide to sell? Because it sounds like a great business. Yeah, I'll give you uh, 305 million reasons why I sold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why. Yeah, Look, sure. It was just a, you know, it was just an offer that um, it'd be pretty mad to, to yeah. knock it back. It's, you know, it's basically it's a generational change. It's a life change. It's a life changing event. Um, so uh, the, well, before, really... before the sale, you, you guys, um, uh, what's it called when you, you put your feelers out for um, an IPO or a private purchase? Is that correct? The trade. Yeah. So you, you trade, went... Yeah, trade sale. Yeah. Yeah. So you put so your we feelers had merchant, out. Yeah. Well, we, we actually had a few people approach us. Okay. So we had, we had a few businesses that approached us to buy the business. And um, we thought, oh, and they were talking some good numbers. And we thought, oh, you know what, maybe, we're, maybe it is a good idea to... Um, to put this on the market so uh so fortunately my brother was on the board as well he's got a lot of um he had a lot of PE experience and um so we decided to approach the bankers and we got uh, Deutsche Bank and Macquarie involved and so they led the the sale process so we yeah, it was like they called it a dual track sale so we went um IPO'd on one track and then trade sale on the other and we ended up with a trade sale to work out what's the best option for you or what the in? Okay, yeah, that's Sorry. really interesting. I'd never heard of that, so that's really interesting. So you're working out what's what's the better option for you guys and the company, um, and then obviously the trade sale route was where you went. Yeah, basically, all you what you're trying to do there is you're trying to get competitive attention. So you, you, so you, so you're going down the both tracks, and you'll so the, even the IPI goes the IPI IPO guys they'll actually try and pre-sell eighty percent of your business to institutions, so they'll get a pretty good idea what number they're talking. Yep. And then the trade guys are on the other side and you're trying to put one against the other and get then obviously better competitive attention, more better price. Yeah, that's, smart. That's the idea behind it. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah, it's what it's what the bankers do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um and so since then, um, you guys have expanded globally. So I, I um when I chatted with Philip Devella before he sold to Retail Food Group, he said that um uh, he knew it was a good time to sell because he'd expanded as much as he could within Australia. Um, and then he knew that there was room for further growth internationally and that's why um, RFG was a great option to take it international. So um, it sounds like a similar story to yourselves. You've you done a lot within Australia and New Zealand yeah, and yeah. there was a little bit of look, space. We certainly, we, no, look, we certainly hadn't reached our full potential in Australia and New Zealand. It was just that the offer was, was that good that, um, you know, when I say that good, it, was, um, it just took all the uncertainty off the table. So, um, but... Um, so global payments who bought the business that they've, they've expanded the business on a we were growing at about 30% compound and, and they continue to, to grow that business there was another business um, transactional services they're about the same level as us when we sold and um, they've only, only recently sold for like 1.2 billion wow. so, so so I probably left a bit of money on the table there but you know but how much is enough so I'm I'm, and I'm, I'm Certainly happy with with the process, and certainly happy that I sold. But um, but there was there was there, there was a lot of a lot of room for growth in global payments. Um, continued that growth trajectory, and they've actually and 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 they have um, so global payments uh, is a is a US based uh, company. They've got uh, companies in about thirty different countries, and wow. they have actually pushed some of our processes out to their different um, countries, which is a 
which is a good thing for AZ ever just to show that and a good thing for Australia to go because sometimes you wonder you know what what are you like on a world scale but um, I think it did show that on a world scale was certainly well and truly up there yeah especially if your processes are, are being um, integrated with other companies so as a compliments to compliments to the chef compliments to the uh, the original yeah. founders back in Australia yeah no, cool. no, that is it's really it's, it's good vindication to say that well, you know in Australia we do do things well yeah. we do easily compete on a world scale Mm-hmm. And so you were taken on as an advisor for global payments. Are you still doing that? Consulting? Oh, no, that? actually, no, no. So, no, so uh, I, um, on the day of sale, I, I threw them the keys and they threw me a check. Okay. So there was no, there was nowhere now. It was just a, it was just a, like a house sale where, yeah, on, on the day they took over and, and I, got the, I got the money and we, um, you know, we certainly, were, I, I certainly spoke to them, um, but only on a, on a friendly basis and um but there was yeah there was nowhere now nothing like that okay so you you got the cash in the bank mick and um and you dusted your hands with easy debit um did you take a holiday yeah. did you do anything in particular to celebrate or was it back to business straight away uh it's an interesting one that one you know like it's a it's a real it's a it's a it's a big change in your mindset um <laughs> Yeah, so so the, the um, so you've actually converted that business, which was generating good cash anyway. You know, we were making 15, 15 to twenty million a year anyway. So it was it was spinning out good cash. Um, now you can, now what happens is you you're in this lump of cash, and then you've got to put that money to work. Um, so that that is a very different mindset to. Being an entrepreneur, as an entrepreneur, I'm, I'm, I'm focused on risk and reward. I'm high risk, I'm high reward. But when you've got the cash, you have to go into preservation mode. It's, um, so it's really more focused on wealth preser- preservation as opposed to wealth creation. So, um, so I've had to really reskill myself over the last few years and, and, and learn all about asset allocation and all the different markets that you that you invest as cash in and um and the you know the rules around preservation of cash as opposed to um as opposed to to, to more risky things even yeah. though like my, i'm i'm naturally inclined to be risky and i'm naturally inclined to be an entrepreneur i've had to i've had to put the right people on my on a board to hold me to you know to hold the reins a bit yeah so did you start the um did you start pipe capital straight away um with with the cash into that, or did you invest in in certain areas before putting some some capital into your fund? Well, so we we so we use so pipe capital is our is, is our um, it's just basically our venture capital. Um, so so we use that to to push the money out to different investments. Um, so um, did you keep some with yeah. you know in, in property or stocks or something like that? Yeah, so so that's all part of managing that money. Oh, where, okay. Uh, so it's di- so now it's diversified, and we've put some in properties, some in international stocks, some in domestic stocks, some in bonds. You know, how much liquidity do, liquidity do we have? What's our asset allocation um, uh, strategy at the moment? Is it defensive? Is it aggressive? Where do we think the economy? So it, where is the economy at? You know, so there's a whole range of different things that are very different to focusing on a business where all I'm doing in the business is driving revenue and profit. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a very 
interesting mindset. And a big other thing is what the lump of it's hard. It can be hard to come with, to terms with the amount of with the, just the amount, the quantum of money that's that's sitting there. And I just don't. I just for me, I just seem to I forget about it. Um, like you can't quite fathom it. It's not something that I even really think about. Okay. You no, know, really. So for me, it, my life hasn't really changed a lot. Um, did you celebrate so when you when you sold? Did you guys do do something to celebrate? Yeah, we look. We, we all the shareholders went out. And we had a, a pretty big dinner, you know, nice dinner, that sort of thing. Um, and I'm certain I've, I've got. A, I, I, you know, I do have a few toys that I've got. Um, um, yeah, but I think the more toys you have, the more you realise that they don't really give you that much joy anyway. So yeah, yeah in, in the in the form of like cars, boats. Fancy surfboards. Yeah, all, of, you... <laughs> all of the above. <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've um, yes. I've, I've driven a couple of um, luxury cars, the Ferrari, Porsche, and they're beautiful. They're, they're certainly different to your everyday car, but um, uh, at the end of the day, you're holding a steering wheel and looking through a windscreen, and um, even though you're, you're driving a little bit faster than normal sometimes. Yeah, well, um, well, you know what? That's, I'm sure it... it's 100% correct. All, all they do is give me a sort back. So that's... <laughs> So I was like, oh my God, what am I driving this thing for? You, you know, you're down low, you have to, you know, you're, it's hard to get into, hard what to get out. What are you driving, a, a Lotus or something? <laughs> oh, that one's a, that's a, um, a yeah, that's, that's one's a, a GT3 Porsche, which is like a racing, it's like a racing Porsche. Yeah. But, but I, but, but actually I, I don't, I don't drive it on the street much. I normally, I do actually race it. Oh, so, cool. Yeah. What kind of, what, do you have a dream, a dream race a, that you want to do? Like a Targa or Bathurst or something? Oh, not really. It's it's um that's just a bit of, a bit of a hobby. I'm not I'm not a real enthusiast. Okay, it is fun though, but um it is it is yeah, a good it point. Is, that, it, it is fun. It is a good point that you made that it doesn't make you happier. So um toys are, are fun, but they don't. It doesn't increase your level of happiness. So for you, Mick, what what does make you happy? What do you uh, love doing? I think it's got to be. Well, actually, what I do love is doing is building businesses. So I love being involved in businesses and building businesses and, you know, growing a business. That's actually what I love. And that's, um, and that's what I basically fell into with easy debit. So when I, you know, my path from an engineer to doing a little bit of developing to the childcare centers to easy debit, um, led me to this path where I was, um, building and growing a business and employing more people. You know, I think we had about 150 odd employees, which is before I sold. Um, so it was, yeah, look, it was it was really good to to see you know, these people that that I'd employed grow around me, and it was actually quite a um, quite you know, quite an emotional day when I actually had to get up and do the town hall and tell everyone that I'd sold the business, um, yeah. that I was actually you know, leaving the company. Um, but that that for me uh, certainly um, creates a lot of joy, and you know, and really, it's all about you know for me, life's about the people that are, that are around you and your relationships with them. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. And and in terms of building business, do you enjoy the um the strategy, the hustle, the the sales, the the beginning? Is there anything in particular? Or is it mostly just um having something in your mind and then bringing it? Because I think it's incredible um when you have an idea yeah. in your mind and then and then you bring it to creation. I guess the best way of describing that is a piece of artwork. You have a picture in your head and then you draw it. It's like a business and yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, no, and 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 it's you know and and to um 
to get that idea and then convert it to something that's actually not just an idea, it's actually a working model. And then to actually convert that into working business, you know, it takes a lot of effort and, but it's, but it's, so for, to answer the question, so for me, the strategy, strategy and product are my two um, key areas that I, that I really enjoy. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. Strategy. So strategy, product, sales. Yeah. Yeah. And so with, um, with Pipe Capital, what kind of businesses are you investing in now? Okay. So Pipe Capital, uh, we've, so probably our biggest investment is um, property management software business called Console. Uh-huh. So that was actually a, um, uh, as a business that was listed on the Australian Stock Exchange in the form of On the House. And uh, so, so along with Mac- so Macquarie, so along with Macquarie Bank, we actually privatised that business and uh, sold a few bits of it, and we were left with the um, property management software. And so then we've had we've had to um, build a, a cloud-based application, uh, and we're and we're now migrating uh, customers from the client server application to the to the cloud-based application. So that's that's probably my a big focus. But then I've got I've got investments in a um, uh, a, um, a a web-based portal that um, that is like real realestate.com for cattle. So mm-hmm. do, we do cattle cattle and sheep sales, but also cattle and sheep. So not just advertising the sale, but also the transactions. Yeah, that's a little one that's that's growing. That's Another interesting. One is, um, I mean, yeah, I'm involved in some surfboards. So um, so along with a a mate of mine, the Goldie here, uh, he approached me and, uh, and uh, so I got involved with um, Lost and Pizel surfboards. So we, we manufacture and sell and there's, a, there's an, an on, online um, component to that business as well. Um, so do you, do you really see like the, the future of business as online or, um, or that's just your specialty? So that's what you focus on? Oh, look, I think both of those things. So I think, yeah, certainly the future of business um, is on. Look, there, there, there certainly is, there's always going to be a bricks and mortar component because people love to get out and go shopping and yeah. you know, and people like the face-to-face interaction. Um, but the beauty about an online business, um, or especially something like um, online, like Easy Debit or, or Console with the payments is that there's no stock. Mm-hmm. So no stock and pretty rarely any debtors. That's a pretty good business model. Yeah, and low and low overheads. If, if you don't have if you don't have stock, you don't have storage and um, yeah, the utilities and things. Like problem that. is the only problem is is building software is tricky. Yeah. So it's you know it's um it's something that it's not like building a it's not it's not like building a, a ten story building where you know oh, I'm at level five I'm going to have to go to level ten. Yeah. You, you it's very hard to tell where you're at, what level you're at. Is it going to work? Is it not going to work? And when it's ever going to stop? Right. So it's a, it is. So that's the the, the tricky part of uh, of online with building software. Yeah, building software. Okay, because you can you with software you can keep tweaking and tweaking and tweaking, right? So it's, is that what you mean by where do you stop? You'll never stop growing with software. There'll always be something new, and the more customers you have, the more exceptions you have, and you just it just keeps going. Yeah. So how do you it's, know how much? Um, how do you know how much to invest in software? Like at what point? 
um, is there a percentage of how much you're spending on software versus the revenue? Um, is there some kind of calculation that you would work off? That's an interesting one as well. It's a bit like um, if you compare it to that, that building example. Um, so if you're, say you're building a building, you, that's a capital, it's a capital expenditure where you're building something mm -hmm. and then you're going to rent it to get a return on that capital. So the same with software, it's a, it's, it is basically a capital outlay to a point. So hopefully you're building something, you get it to a point where you're going to get a return on it. That's, yeah. that's the initial spend. And then all the additional spend should be, look, you do have to maintain it, same as a building. You've got to spend money to keep the lights on and maintain it. But then there'll always be this more capital that's required in that building. And the trick is to make sure that that capital is spent wisely so you're getting return on that capital, not just spending it. To make um, it look pretty. Make it look pretty and not get a return, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great tip. That makes perfect sense. Um, sometimes the simple things can be complicated, but, um, makes sense to me. All right. So let's, um, uh, let's chat about your, your food hotel leisure. Is that, is that just some of the businesses that you're invested in through pipe capital or is that outside of that? Sorry. The, 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 uh, the, the food. Yeah. Food and leisure businesses. Yeah. Okay. Well, so, well, actually, um, so back at about the same time when I started easy there, but I also uh, bought the Normanby hotel. Oh, cool. So, um, yeah. I've been there so before. That was with the, my, yeah, that's good to hear. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I bought that in 99, um, operated that for a couple of years and then did a quite a, did a big renovation on it mm -hmm. and then opened it up in 2003, fortunately just in time for the World Cup that was in, uh, in Australia and, and that actually went quite, you know, went, went very well um, and only recently sold that uh back in October last year. So, um, so that, and that taught me a lot as well about, you know, about running a business and, um, and also that, and actually that was all about stock control and yep. inventory control and marketing. Staff, yeah. <laughs> hospitality Yeah, staff. exactly. No, you're right. Staff, cash, you know, all the cash going through there. How do you, how do you, how do you, how do you learn people management skills? Cause, um, uh, especially in hospitality, it's real, um, hands-on, um, it's a it's a it's a people business. You're dealing with people. Uh, your staff, are the face of your business. Um, how do you learn people skills? Uh, I don't know. It's a good question. I don't know if you learn them. No, I think. Um, look, I've always loved my staff. I've always. Um, they've always. I've always thought about my staff as they're helping me. They're helping me to um, to run the business and to improve the business. So I've always. I've, I've always treated them, um, uh, treated them well, and always tried to help them to improve themselves. And um, and I've always thought, you know, a lot of people get upset when someone leaves a business. Um, but you know, I've, I've thought about myself, and I was in the business, and I left because I always wanted to do do my own business, start my own business. So, and I'm, I've got, so I've got, well, you know, what if someone wants to do that? I'm happy for them to to learn with me, and as long as they're contributing, then. I always always wish them well, and if something happens, I always to uh, welcome them back. Um, but I think, and that's I think that's probably a pretty big thing. You also think uh, another big thing that we do is that someone's either what I've seen a bit through uh, through some other businesses and some other people is that if someone is upset with the team member or 
thinks that they're on the way out and they start treating them badly. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm more of the opinion that you're either in the team or you're out. And if you're in the team, everyone's treated well. But if you think that that person should be sitting on the bench or out, not good enough for the team, well, then it's time for a chat and better for everyone that the person's actually out of the team, not in the team copping shit. Yeah. That's that's pretty well the way we operate that. You're either in the team or you're not. And if you're in the team, then you're a team member and, 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 and treated well. Yeah. So yeah. Do, you, do you give chances or is it kind of like once somebody starts to slack off and shows that they're not interested, it's, they're out? I think you've always got to give someone a chance. Um, you know, I, there are there's certainly people who won't learn and I think and sometimes it's very difficult to weed them out in an interview. Like you'll never weed that out in an interview. Um, so those type of people you really need to identify pretty quickly. Um, then if you, if, if there are, you know, you might give them a chance, you, you should give them a chance, explain something, just trying to understand why something didn't occur. But then if you have the opinion, well, that person's not going to fit in the team, well, then, then you shouldn't be scared to go. Shouldn't They're not waste. going to be a team member. Yeah. yeah. Shouldn't waste time. Yeah. And it's good. It's, it's better for everyone, you know, because otherwise you're, you're annoying them, you're annoying yourself. Yeah. So everyone's annoyed. So you better off just going that. And you do it, but, you know, you can do a thing, you can do that in a nice way as well. Just, you know, yeah. we're not suited for each other. Yeah. Gives them an opportunity too to find something that they, they probably love a bit more. That they than, might love. Than, exactly. Than that That's exactly right. They're stuck there because they feel a bit nervous about quitting or, or maybe they just need that yeah, pressure. Yeah. And you're helping them by pushing That's them. That's exactly right. Pushing them yeah. out of the nest and making them learn to fly. So it's a nice, way, right. nice way of putting it. It's a very good way to put it. Yeah. 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 All right. Mick, well, I'd like to flip the interview for a question. So um, what's, uh, what's something you'd like to ask me? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so what drives you then? Um, and what's your aspirations with your business? Uh, well, I come from a family of um, my grandparents were quite successful. And then um, my mum's generation, she was a single mum and, and I saw her struggle a fair bit um, raising my sister and I. And, um, and I would really like to, um, um, both my grandparents have passed away. So I'd, I'd really like to be the, the, the stick in the, the line in the sand where I... Um, I build a legacy for our family. I don't see anyone really doing that right now. And um, I would hate to just live for myself this lifetime and not think about future generations. And so I, I'm really inspired to create something that's larger than myself so that my kids and my grandkids and, and uh, furthermore can um, can be a part of that. And if they want okay. to. So, and so, so what's, what, what, how would you describe the cause? Your, what's your cause? So what was... What was, um, what's your reason to, what's the reason that you started the business? Did you identify a problem and you wanted to solve it or, yeah. or what, what is, what is your, what is the business's reason to be? What's the, what are you trying to do for the community? Well, uh, that's a really good question. And, uh, I may not have it pinpointed hyper specifically, but at the moment, um, I feel like I have the skill to help other people with businesses. So at the moment, um, I'm helping my partner identify her voice and um, and we're creating a business together, uh, empowering people, women around the world. We have a target of a thousand uh, 
for the end of this year to help them empower themselves with their health and fitness. Um, and, and that for me comes from a background of um, a lack of health in my younger years. And then uh, in addition to that, with I love business like yourself, but I haven't built something large just yet. I love strategy. Um, I studied public relations. So, um, yeah, if you could help me identify that, then that would be, that would be really cool. Look, I think um, what I was touching on there, like for me, I think it's really important that you've got a, that there's a cause, there's a reason to be. Yeah. Um, so, and your reason to be, it can't just be, oh, I want to make $300 million because you've got to, in order to get people to work for you and, and to work towards your cause, they've got to come on board and, and, and rally around what the business is focusing on, focusing on and and um, and helping the community. So like it is yeah. there, but our cause there was that we, we believed every business deserved to be paid. So that if a business provided a service, well, it deserves to be paid for that service. So that was our cause. And then, so all our decision-making was revolved around that cause. Oh, so I think it's really important that you identify, okay, what, why am I doing this? What's the problem I'm trying to solve? Or why am I doing this? Why? And then once you do that, that's your cause. And then when you employ people, you you have to really take them down that journey and you'll find that they will then attract the right people and they'll go down that journey with you. Okay. Amazing advice. So what what's um, Pipe Capital's cause? Well, Pipe Capital's a little different because it's, it's, just a it's just a vehicle to invest the proceeds and the money um, but for example um, the property management software so that that property management software is uh, that's to help agencies uh, manage their rent rolls so we're so and we're and same thing there we're struggling a little bit with the calls there but it's actually to um, to make a, to make the property managers more efficient okay so do yeah. you, when you, when you when you talk to these businesses before you before or after you invest in them, do you uh, if they don't have a clear cause, do you literally sit down and, and, and chat about okay, what specifically are we trying to achieve here? This is what the software does um, in terms of process, but what's the actual cause behind it? Do you have that conversation? Yeah, that's a that's a big thing. Yeah, so and normally you have to sit down with a founder, mm-hmm. um, and there'll be a reason why why the founder started it. You know bit like me with easy there but I started it because I wasn't getting paid um, and there'll be a reason that a founder that he's gone ah, you know this is not I'm doing something that's not working for me I need to improve this Create a and solution. there'll be a, there'll be a cause there there'll be a, yeah there'll be a, and, and you'll find what happens in a lot of businesses that once they're sold then whoever buys them they'll lose contact with that cause and that's when a business might go under some decline because okay. then they don't really know why they exist. Yeah. So for the for the buyer, even if it's a um, a large firm, they need to be in touch with that cause and continue that they should mission. Be. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Exactly okay. right. Yeah. I'm a pretty big believer in the cause there. Yeah. That's that's um, yeah, it's a really good way of thinking, and um, I'm sure that a lot of people are going to take a lot of value from that that question. Thank I you. Hope so. So um, lastly, Mick, I'd love to know what your personal legacy is. So what's what's your individual cause for your life, I guess I could say? Uh, look, I'm, uh, so I think my personal legacy is probably all about family. So I'm hoping that I can you know, give my family uh, a comfortable life, but also a meaningful life. So um, what's that saying? Give them, you know, you've got to give them, 
enough to do something, but not too much to do nothing. So, so hopefully my legacy is that my children um, have got a purpose in life, and that and that uh, that, that they they have a, a happy and meaningful life, and um, and. And I certainly don't want them to, they don't need to start, have their own business, but um, they just need to have a, I think it's, they need a cause. Everyone needs a, a cause and hopefully they have a meaningful cause that keeps them happy for their life. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. It's really good that you're invested in, in your children and uh, beyond yourself. That's, that's great to hear. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. All right, Mick. You'll probably well, it, will when you, once you, once you have a few children, you'll, you'll, you'll know. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I, I don't understand right now fully because I don't have any kids. Exactly. I'm probably um, <laughs> a good five years away from that yet. Um, I don't even so have like, a dog. Don't rush into it. <laughs> yeah, don't rush into it, boy, mate. <laughs> All right. Yeah, yeah, cool. All right. Well, Mick, is there anything else you want to leave the audience? Uh, I have an audience of... Um, a lot of men, but also women who are heavily invested in, are interested in investing and in, in business creation, uh, living a life of freedom. Uh, look, I think the you know the main the main the key things are really uh, you do need a cause, so and, and, and get that cause early. So identify what your cause is very early. So then you can get your employees to rally around you, um, uh, and then you know and probably the other big thing I think is actually. Try and find what you love. Say, so, and the way to do that is to leave the things that you that you don't really like. Yeah, that's probably my two big messages there. Yeah, fantastic. Oh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Mick. It's been such a pleasure. A pleasure, Elise. And I pleasure really look to forward to, to meeting you in person. Yeah, exactly. That'd be lovely. I'm in Brizzy a bit. All right, lovely. Thank you, Mick. All right. Thanks for tuning in with me as your host, Elise Grace. Do me a favor and drop me a review on iTunes or if you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe. would love to know what you guys think of the podcast. It helps me keep creating killer content just like this. If you want to stay up to date with all my movements, please check me out on social media at Elise Grace.